So when when you've you know you've been fired and you've got I can't believe we did the startup. When I thinking yeah. back, I'm like, what was I thinking doing a startup with three little kids at home? Because my yeah. the twins were six and Roy was two. I talked to Ruth, my wife, about this recently. I was like, remember that whole thing? And she was like, I was not even paying attention. I was just feeding the babies the whole time. Welcome to the struggle, a production of the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaS I'm your host, Alex Humer. And on this month's episode, I speak with Yesware co-founder and chairman of the board, Matthew Bellows. I spoke with Matthew a year ago for another episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, where we focus on the part of the story that showcased Yesware's success to date. Today, we take a step back, and in the spirit of the struggle, we chat about the myriad of struggles that he's been through that aren't often discussed on the way to that success. Matthew started Yesware in 2010, together with his co-founder and CTO, Cashman Andrus. The plan was to bootstrap, and as demand for engineering talent increased while savings were drying up very quickly, Matthew and Cashman decided to fundraise. According to the blog post, they had read that it meant to be easy. The reality turned out anything but. While the experience was difficult, Matthew believes that for Yesware, it was the right thing to do. It also served as an important gut check. Do we actually want to run this company and build this product? The answer was a definite yes, and eventually they managed to raise $1 million in 2011, which helped fuel the initial build of the communication platform for salespeople. Yesware has gone on to raise a total of $48 million. The yes answer to that question has always remained. He is incredibly open and honest throughout our conversation, for which I'm eternally grateful. We cover a large array of topics, such as the inherent conundrum of being a CEO, how he's grappled with a very strong case of imposter syndrome, the struggles of managing executives, how meditation has helped him immensely, why he stepped down as a CEO in August last year and how he feels about it. And we finish off with the one piece of advice he would give to fellow founders and CEOs. This is the untold story of Yesware, seven years in the making. Welcome, Matthew Bellows, uh, founder and uh, and chairman of Yesware to uh, to the struggle, uh, which is a, a SaaS revolution show. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you. Great to be here. It's, we've uh, you're actually one of the uh, well, very few, probably only a handful of, of repeat guests on the SaaS revolution show. Although obviously this is you know for, for the struggle, so we, we've obviously spoken before, um, you know about uh, uh, about Yesware and your your journey at, at Yesware. Um, and uh, and today we want to you know I think have a, di- a different conversation obviously because it, it, it's it's for a different show and uh, you know just talking about uh, I think you know openly and honestly as we can um, just that you know growing a SaaS business I think as everybody knows you know is not easy uh, you know it's very difficult being a CEO it's, it's that's not easy you know in, in itself. Um, and sometimes these things aren't, you know, aren't often sort of talked about, and it's often, you know, the success stories, uh, which actually, yes, where is, uh, you, you, you know, is is currently, I think, you know, doing very well. Um, but uh, you know, we can talk about, um, I guess, the, the the challenges, like you know, in the in the early days, uh, and for you personally, you know, as a CEO, uh, I, I guess, you know, challenges that that you felt or or, or any struggles that you've had that you're, you're kind of happy to share. Yeah, good? The, the first episode we did was all about how we're killing it and this yeah. is the behind the scenes <laughs> how we're killing what it actually happened. exactly exactly <laughs> good, good stuff um uh, so and, and hopefully everybody you, you know that, that's listening to this if you if you haven't listened to that episode um you know we'll link to it i can't remember off the top of my head what number episode it was but uh, worth, worth listening to both and, and putting it together 
so, um, uh, but Matthew, uh, for those um, that uh, <coughs> I guess haven't listened to that episode, don't know who you are, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> my name is Matthew Bellows. Um, I co-founded Yesware in 2010 with my partner Cashman Andrus, and um, and Yesware is for those of you who haven't tried it. Uh, piece of software that integrates into your email and your calendar and your CRM system and helps you communicate better with customers and prospects. So we have a whole bunch of features that sort of provide better, authentic, genuine communications at scale. Um, <clears throat> we started in 2010, like I said, and our previous startup had been uh, bootstrapped. So we didn't raise any outside money. We built it up and sold it and and that was fun. It was great. But we pretty quickly hit a wall. The first real wall we hit was basically Cashman coming to me one day and saying, you know, hey, I, I need more engineers. Like, this is a harder problem than I thought it was going to be. And we need to, um, we, were, we were putting our own money into it and hiring engineers off Odesk to help, um, you know, Cashman build the prototype out. And uh, he was like, this is actually a bigger problem than I originally expected. And I said, well, Luckily, it's also a bigger opportunity. So we went out and raised VC money um, at the beginning of 2011, and um, and that was <clears throat> that was the first sort of gut check in the sense of saying like, one, do you want to do this? <laughs> you know, and I and I really see like entrepreneurship in general as a process of coming up with an idea, being inspired, running with it as hard as you can, hitting an obstacle, usually pretty hard, and then either getting over the obstacle or quitting. <laughs> and it's just like that again and again and again. And so, um, you know, I've been doing this now. This is my second bootstraps or second, you know, Greenfield startup and working in startups for my whole career. So I've just run into a lot of obstacles and had a lot of struggles. <laughs> and, and the, uh, I, I guess sort of like raising uh, venture capital kind of, you know, very early on realizing that this is a, you know, a big problem, but a big opportunity uh, for you as, I, I guess, uh, in, in terms of your role, so uh, you, you have Cashman, who's your partner. Were you CEO from, or yeah. your founder from day one? You, I don't know if you call yourself CEO from day one. And Cashman yeah. was what role, the technical? CTO, yeah. CTO, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and you decided early on, we're going to raise venture capital. Um, that process or, or that decision, was that like a, an easy one? Was it like, okay, you, you know, this is a big opportunity, so we have to, we have to raise venture capital? It was sort of like um, it was sort of like uh, stepping off a cliff in a sense because we had never done it before. We had never raised venture capital before, so we didn't really know what we were getting into. We had read all the blog posts that were out there then, and now there's even more. But um, it was a little bit of a step off into the unknown. Um, I think you know, having now done both bootstrapped and VC backed. I mean, there's strengths and weaknesses to each model, but I think for Yesware, it was absolutely right to raise outside money. Was it was it uh, an easy process? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be easy, and I read all these blog posts about how, like, the guys walk into their friend's house and the guy drops them a check for 100 grand, like, on a kitchen table, you know, after a quick little how-do-you-do. And it was not like that at all. And I, I thought like, hey, this is two guys who have, you know, built and sold a company already. Like, I thought we were kind of already made men. And instead, the VCs, especially the ones in Boston, kind of looked at us like, 
who are you jokers? Like, what are you doing? Like, there's no, there's no category called sales software. Like it doesn't exist. And, and my point was sort of like, I know that's exactly right. We're going to do it, you know? Um, and you know, the, a lot of them were just like dismissive and annoying and totally obnoxious and, and jerks about it actually. Uh, like, like uh, outwardly hostile towards this project, which seemed insane to me. But, uh, but yeah, it, it kind of sucked. I, I think I counted it up at one point. We had 45 different meetings with different angels and angel groups and DCs and micro VCs. And, and um, you know, in the end we were successful at getting a good group to write a term sheet, but it was not, I, I you know, it, it did not match the expect the blog posts stories. It was very much a grind. Uh, the, the 45 meetings or, or let's say from the start of the, the raise to actually, you, you know, uh, yeah, like the, the unit raise. Yeah. Unit like individuals. What, 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 uh, what was the time frame? Was it, uh, you know, a couple uh, two of months, months. Two, two months. months. Yeah. And, and were you okay for cash at the time? Like it was there, uh, this added pressure that actually we might run out of money or was it just, yeah. more about yeah. no, no, it was definitely like, we didn't have jobs. Um, we didn't, we were spending money to, pay the programmers to build a prototype. Um, and it had, it had been going on now since, well, let me see. I got, I got fired from my last job before starting Sware, and they gave me, they got fired in June. So July, August, September, I had severance and then October, November, December, you know, it starts, <laughs> started to worry a little bit. And then January, February, March, April 1st, we got the cash in the bank. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a stretch. Because you, uh, I, mean, I believe you, you've got family. Uh, is, is that right? I have three kids, yeah. You've got three kids. Three so, kids. so when, when you've, you know, you've been fired and you've got... I can't bed, believe we did the startup. When I was thinking yeah. back, I'm like, what was I thinking doing a startup with three little kids at home? Because yeah. the twins were six and Roy was two. Yeah. I talked to Ruth, my wife, about this recently. I was like, remember that whole thing? And she was like, I was not even paying attention. I was just, <laughs> I was feeding the babies the whole time. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't paying attention. There's that <laughs> added, added pressure. And actually I, I've been through it myself in, in, in that I, I quit my job to, to go all in on SaaS stock with just like six months cash in the bank. Whilst uh, Gemma, my, my my fiance was uh, was pregnant, and you know she was, uh, yeah. she, was she was saying, "Well, like, wait, wait a couple of years." And I was like, "Oh, it's got to be now or never, right?" And uh, just going to figure it out as I, as as I go along. But it probably yeah. wasn't the smartest move. But um, no, I think uh, it is. I mean, I think it is smart. It's it's it's. I mean, look, we're we're incredibly fortunate in that um, I always felt like I could fall back and get a sales job somewhere. And I always felt that I, I couldn't get a sales job somewhere. I could get a job working in a restaurant somewhere. So, I mean, I feel incredibly lucky and privileged to be able to do this. And, and even though it was one of the interesting things about the struggle is that um, even though as a CEO, like you're in this privileged position and this, this respected position and people are like, People treat you differently if you're a CEO. It's very bizarre. But at the same time, it's hard. And so the sort of like lonely at the top thing comes in where, you know, you're not supposed to feel these things because you're in such a good spot, because you've gotten to the pinnacle of your organizational whatever, and your startup is working or you raised money or you're going public or any of those things, you're not supposed to feel bad. Um, 
But the fact of the matter is that, you know, the, you know, the basic core human experience is one of suffering. Like it's hard. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, and so even though we find ourselves in this privileged position and we acknowledge that it's still difficult. So, um, pain is this wonderfully relative thing. And I, again, I'm incredibly fortunate. Nonetheless, that does not diminish the fact that I feel pain and difficulty and it's hard. So you mentioned, obviously, um, uh, like being a CEO, you know, it's lonely at the top. Um, you know, I've heard that a lot and uh, there's a lot to be said, you know, for that. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's pretty much uh, true. Um, but uh, I, I guess some, like on that with you being the CEO of Yesware and, and having, you, you know, this kind of like seven-year uh, journey, uh, or, or, or longer. Um, what were some of the struggles that, uh, just specifically around being a CEO, that that you experienced that perhaps is uh, like common to, to to other SaaS CEOs that you've seen and, and, and heard of? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and there are there are lots of them, but the first one that comes to mind is is basically um, <clears throat> I had to discover that my position very dramatically influenced the way people both treated me and treated the things I said and did. Even though I don't think of myself as like a scary person, um, that's not my sort of self-image. I got a lot of feedback in the early years that like I was freaking people out. I was scary to them. And and I was like, I'm not scary. I'm just a normal dude. Like I, you know, <laughs> but nonetheless, because the combination of my my physical presence and the way I am and my, I'm intense. I get that. But, uh, like I was really freaking some engineers and some, some folks on the team out and it was uncomfortable for them. It's such a, so uncomfortable that they actually went to my partner Cashman and told them like, when he does this and this and this, it really freaks me out. And I totally underestimated that. I underestimated the impact that my, uh, my physical presence and the way I moved in a room and things like that would, would upset people. And it was, it was difficult for me to hear that because I just didn't think of myself as that person. I didn't want to be that guy, but you, the CEO you think, like you puts you up in the spotlight that, that like you get all this kind of feedback. Do you think also, I mean, like, absolutely. I think there, there's um, like a big part of that is actually, you, you know, your aura, your physicality, how you move and, uh, this kind of thing, how how you even look, or whether you're smiling or happy, you know that particular day. But also, is it just by nature of being a CEO? Are sometimes the employees just a little bit scared? Because I mean, I've I've had the same feedback, and I'm sure many CEOs listening to this have had the same. Like some of my colleagues have said, like you know, you're a bit scary, and like you know, I'll walk into the room, uh, and maybe the music was on, and everybody's talking, and then as soon as I'm in, it's like music is off, <laughs> nobody's talking, and I'm like, guys, like carry on, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah. I don't think it was me, but you know, I think it's just the fact. That, oh, the boss is in. You know, we better kind of like we're we're a little bit scared. We need to be seen to be working and not talking, something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think it is. I think that's it. And I and I and and sorting those two things out, and especially not not wanting to be that guy, not wanting to be the the sort of you know wet towel on the party, uh, and not wanting to be a scary, intimidating person. Like it was, it was kind of shocking. Have, I mean, have, you, 
Have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome? Um, I like my middle name is imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you over, how, how did you overcome that, or have you, or do you ever overcome it? I I think um, I think the only way to really so for those of you who don't know that term, the the idea is that basically um, it's the imposter syndrome is the feeling that uh, everyone's going to figure out that you're totally faking this. And you're actually not qualified to be doing anything that you're doing. Um, and, and it's all a sham. And at some point, you're going to get found out and people are just going to laugh at you and lo- you're going to lose everything you've had. So um, that, that is a familiar feeling to me. And I'm afraid to say that the only effective way that I've found to get through it is um, just to feel it come up again and again and again. And recognize it, like name it. Oh, this is that imposter syndrome again, you know. And it doesn't actually make it go away, but it does put it in context. And it does, once you familiarize yourself with that kind of feeling, then it it does um, change. It becomes less powerful. But yeah, I still, I mean, (laughs) I still feel it all the time. I um, I think it's part of extending yourself in a way. It's part of like pushing yourself. And what, the story you told about, you know, your um, fiance being pregnant and you starting Sastop like at that time, I think one of the most amazing things about uh, doing startups, whether you're as any kind of founder, technical founders, or, you know, um, sales founder, whatever, is that you're basically signing yourself up for a rapid course and personal growth because you're basically saying, like, I am going to lead a new initiative that doesn't exist right now. And it's going to be my responsibility to lead a bunch of people into the unknown. And that means I'm going to change. I got to grow. I got to, I got to develop this quickly. And um, that to me is like the most powerful path for personal growth and transformation because you're sort of forced into it, you know? Um. A couple of things. I, I guess this personal growth. I mean, you're right. You're throwing yourself, uh, you know, into it. And I think even is it is it Reed Hoffman? Like, I mean, generally, I think he talks about you know startups, uh, like you know, throwing throwing yourself kind of off the cliff and like uh, the cliff and assembling the plane on the way down. You know, it's very similar. You know, in in terms of you know, we're starting this business, we're signing up to it, and we're figuring it out. Like, uh, you know, as we go, you know, in in the beginning, and figuring out how to be CEO. Like for me the first time, you know, being a CEO, uh, actually maybe only now where I'm entering into the fourth year, do I actually feel like I'm probably, I could call myself a CEO because before, mm. you know, I'm, I'm just wasn't sure, you know, I'm like a founder. I preferred that title. It's like, don't call me CEO mm. yet. I, I'm not sure. Do I, de- yeah. do I deserve it yet? But now I kind of, you know, we've got 20 people in the company. I think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a CEO now. Um, but, um, you know, you know, your organization, yes, where, I mean, currently it's like, what, uh, how many people north of a hundred, I think. No, we're, we're about, uh, 90, about 90, 90 people. 90, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, a pretty big, uh, a pretty big company. Um, and like in terms of like struggle or challenges with, with people, I mean, I'm expecting that you, you've experienced, uh, like a few, um, I, I'm, I'm, it, it, it's an assumption. I think like most uh, most companies uh, do, but have there been anything sort of specific, any challenges that you overcame, whether it's in leadership or with the team and hiring and firing and, and lessons that you've learned from that, that actually, 
maybe uh, they were issues for you for like weeks on end, but uh, like the way that you resolved it kind of solved you, you know the, the the problem. Was has there been anything like that just with with regards to yeah, sure. things? I think I think one of the hardest sets of challenges that a startup CEO faces, and probably any CEO faces, and is um, <clears throat> managing an executive team is uh, is difficult because these people are chosen um, for their expertise in this particular field, whether it's engineering or product design or finance or sales or marketing or whatever. And oftentimes the CEO has only done one or two of those jobs. And so you find yourself as the CEO managing people that have a very different and very deep skill set in an area that you're pretty unfamiliar with. And um, the way that's manifest. So, 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 what that means is like you have to make these assumptions about how people are doing. Like, are they doing well at their job without really being an expert in what that would look like to do their job well? And um, we had a VP of engineering in the early days named Matthew Bellantoni, who is a brilliant guy, uh, wonderful person, incredibly hardworking. And he really built the, the first engineering team at Yesware. And he got us, you know, off the ground. If it wasn't for him, like we would not be where we are at all. So I, I have a deep respect and appreciation for Matthew Bellantoni, but um, the way it turned out was that after I think three years of very close working together, like we just were in conflict all of the freaking time. <laughs> and it was incredibly painful for like a year. We basically butted heads and he's a strong, smart, opinionated person. And uh, I think of myself as at least strong and opinionated. And so we just didn't, we didn't see eye to eye on the rate of development, the, the way that development was happening, the prioritization schemes that, you know, we're all trying to come up with, the hiring choices he was making, the firing choices. It was like, it was a mess. And like, I have at least half the responsibility for this because, you know, I'm the CEO, but my goodness, it was really, really hard to get through that. And um, at the end, I remember I was out for a run in the morning and I was thinking about this problem for the 1,000th time and I realized I had to fire the guy. And the reason I felt like I had to fire him was that he, I felt like he had stopped learning. He was stuck. Now, whether or not that's the right um, thing like whether or not that was a true reading of the situation um and i fully admit that i might have i might have been the one stuck but the fact of the matter is as the ceo running an executive team like you need everybody on the same page and you cannot abide by long-term conflict on the executive team and so i did fire him and it was really painful because he had really been a huge part of building this business um, and I respect and love him to this day. Um, and he's gone on to do great things. He was the CTO at Easy Cater, which is a big restaurant delivery company in Boston. And he's doing amazing. Um, but like that was, that was one of the first executive team struggles that we had. And I think everybody has stories like that too. But I'm just saying like it's common, you know. Uh, during your tenure as, as CEO, um, did you – often feel like giving up or ever feel like giving up um was like sundays were they were they just difficult did you wake up in the morning or go to bed at night thinking i just don't want to do this anymore 
I didn't feel like I had the choice um, to do that. I didn't feel like I had the luxury to do that because um, so much of, um, you know, our employees and our customers and then our, and our investors had all bet on this happening and me being the CEO. And so I, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure I, I had many nights of lying awake in the, in the middle of the night. Actually, I don't lie awake. I, I go to sleep and then I wake up at two in the morning, like, Oh shit. Oh. <laughs> you know, like that's my pattern is I crash at nine 30 or 10. And then I wake up at two, like, you know, and it's terrible. Mm. One thing I, I, so I used to get up and be like, all right, I'm awake. I get up at two, I'd go upstairs. I'd write, I'd do, check my email. I'd write a bunch of emails and I'd go back to sleep at five or six. And, uh, and that was another thing. People were like, dude, you can't do that. you got to stop sending those 3 a.m. emails. And I was like, why? I'm just trying to get it off my head. Like, I'm thinking about this stuff, and I just want to share it with you. And, and they're like, no, no, no. When you send that email at 3, people expect, people think that you want them to respond at mm. 3. Like, they expect you to get, the, that they should get back to you when you send that email. Because yeah. you're the CEO. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean that at all. Yeah, no, I find that, that that's interesting. Like, I, I get that um, that people kind of, or some people certainly do expect that. And I've had the conversation similarly with members of my team, like a Slack, Slack message, people expect to respond straight away. But actually, and I, you know, I haven't said in the Slack message, you don't need to respond straight away. Um, but like recently, I think, uh, or, or this week, I saw Elon Musk get some uh, uh, flack, or he's getting some flack every week at the moment, it seems. Yeah. Um, uh, for like, send it, like the headline was about, him, um, you know, sending an email at one thirty in the morning, like being a terrible thing, because he's uh, he's then setting the expectation that, uh, or giving the message that people should respond at one thirty a.m. And when I read that, I thought, well, well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, you maybe well, what's wrong with sending an email at one thirty and just seeing that your colleagues respond in the in the morning? But I guess people look at it different ways, right? And I just think you just have to be explicit. Your expectation, explicit, one way or the other. Yeah. Like if you're running the kind of organization where you do expect people to get back to you at one thirty in the morning, then just like be clear about that in the interview process. So people can choose whether or not to be part of that. And if you don't, then just put it in the email or make it very clear again and again and again, like a, a thousand times a week, you yeah. do not need to get back to me at, you know, between the hours of 9 PM and 6 AM or whatever. Um, did you ever, I mean, like, what about uh, like stress and uh, or like sort of even like mental fatigue and stuff like this? Uh, are, are these things that you you experience and like how would you how would you deal with it if so? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, um, I feel like um, one of the main responsibilities of the CEO is to take care of her or himself from the point of view of. Because I believe that, um, you know, a lot of people on the team look to the CEO as a as a like light a lighthouse or a beacon or a thermometer of like how it's going, like the way that you manifest physically, the way you dress, the way you walk, the way you uh, show up. You know, people read into that, and they read it rightly or wrongly, but um, it's sort of inevitable that they read it. And so, therefore, a big thing that CEOs can do to have a more effective team is to one show up. To you know, be relatively rested and relatively um, calm, because people are looking for signals of danger, um, and uh, really you want to show that no, no, like 
yeah, things are stressful right now. We're all working hard, but like, we got this, you know? So, um, so yeah, I, I have occasion, I have tried to keep a discipline of exercise and, and sitting meditation is my contemplative art. There's lots of contemplative arts, but sitting meditation is mine. And, and, um, and, you know, to try to find balance, but I have not, if you look at my eight, you know, seven year run as the CEO of Yesware, it has been very bumpy in terms of like exercise and sitting meditation. And I have spent, you know, I have wasted many nights, uh, not doing those things and not taking good care of myself. And, uh, and, you know, you get the feedback, like you, you, you wake up the next morning, feel like shit and you can't work as effectively or whatever. It's not, it's not a good, not a good feeling. And so, um, yeah, I, mental fatigue and exhaustion and just frustration and, and just feeling like there's nowhere to turn, right. Feeling like there's no, uh, no one to talk to about this stuff. I, I, I want to, well, uh, you, you kind of led into, uh, what I was going to ask. I want to get into the meditation like in a minute after, after this question. So you just mentioned about like having nobody to talk to, um, like, did you ever consider, or did you ever have like, uh, an executive coach or some sort of like, you, you know, th- therapist or this sort of thing? Yeah. I, I worked with an executive coach for the entire time I was CEO. Um, and I talked with him, uh, for about an hour and a half every month. And sometimes when things were hairy two two or three sessions a month. Um, and then I did a couple retreats with him. Um, he runs things called boot camps. His name is Jerry Colonna. His, his, um, his coaching firm is called reboot R E B O O T dot I O I think reboot. And, um, you know, I, 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 that was so important for me to have somebody to talk with and someone to process the stuff with and someone to like help me see other people's perspectives, you know, um, just to be a mirror. And, um, and, 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 um, you know, there's lots of different kinds of coaching. There's, you know, productivity coaching and best practices coaching. And this is like more tuned into effectiveness coaching and, and how do the invisible or unconscious patterns in your, being uh blind you to what you need and what the team needs what do you are you reacting out of fear or are you reacting out of you know a place of calm and stability it was incredibly helpful and incredibly expensive and if you're if you're vc backed like i would absolutely encourage you to find a great executive coach and if you're bootstrapped as soon as you can try to get some some outside counsel or help or join a CEO peer support group. There's a bunch of those that are great. So anything you can do, come to the reboot stuff at SASDOC, which was a great session. Like anything you can do to widen your circle and get other perspectives in on the problem you're you're facing is such an important thing to do. And and on the meditation side of things, um, so I I, I remember, I think in, in the in the podcast that we previously recorded, the the, the yes we're crushing it podcast, as we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll call it. Um, I think you mentioned about like you 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 do meditation. You, you just said about sitting meditation, and actually when you meditate, you you'll do like I, I think it was like an hour like at a time or something like that. Um, was that? It depends on the day. Yeah, it depends yeah. on the day. But from you know, ten minutes to three hours depending on to three hours. And, and is that on a daily basis? You would just try to do something, whether it would be 10 yeah, minutes something, or something a day. Yeah. 
and and, and how how did that help you? What what what, what was the the, the outcome? <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a big topic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to another podcast, but I don't want to give it short shrift. But yeah, yeah. but um, I'll just I'll just say that I believe that um, taking some period of your day to not do the thing that you're obsessed with, which is being a CEO and doing something that is creative or different, or at least gives you a new perspective on things um, is really, really helpful. It could be taking a walk. It could be arranging flowers. It could be going to the Aikido dojo, whatever you do, like, like don't, to the extent you can, don't let the craziness of your job uh, distract you from doing the things to take care of yourself and take care of uh, your family, right? Like my wife is very great at encouraging me to do sitting meditation because she says that when I'm not, like I'm a jerk. <laughs> so it's good encouragement. <laughs> it's good encouragement. Um, and so um, for me, sitting meditation helps uh, me remember my body. I get so caught up in my head and my thoughts and my, you know, internal dialogue about what's happening. And sitting meditation is all about like coming back, feeling your breath, feeling your body on the cushion, seeing the space around you and being present for what's happening, you know, which means that you recognize your thoughts, you see your thoughts, your thoughts are doing their thing, but it's like in context. And that that sort of touching into some amount of space and relaxation and sanity has been um, really, really helpful in terms of dealing with the chaos and challenges of a startup. Last year, uh, 2018, for those, depending on uh, how far in the future that you're, you're listening to this episode, yeah. um, you uh, replaced yourself as CEO or moved up to chairman, depending, I don't know how you, you would necessarily uh, describe it. Um, uh, you know, why, why did you do that move, you know, after, uh, this, this sort of period of time sort of running, uh, um, yes, we're as CEO, you know, since 2010 effectively. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that was a struggle. <laughs> uh, in an, I wrote a blog post about it. I can send you the link for the show notes, but, um, but, uh, in a nutshell, um, you know, the biggest company I had ever run before Yesware was about 10 employees and about uh, uh, two, three million dollars in revenue, annual revenue. And so we were then um, 10 times, almost 10 times bigger in each dimension. And we wanted to get 10 times bigger than that. And so, you know, it, at, each, at each financing round, it's a good time to like think over your executive team and think, you know, who are those people um, can get us to the next level and who are those people really are sort of topping out and should find another job and I need to replace them. Well, I was doing that process for the financing that we raised in the summer of 2000, you know, spring of 2018. And I just got stuck on myself. You know, I was just like, am I really honestly the best guy to take this thing to the next level? Like, because it's it's much bigger than anything I've run before, and we want to get it much bigger than this. And on the other hand, we had this guy on the executive team who, at that point, was the COO, who had run a four hundred person, five hundred million dollar business within a publicly held company, 
run a UK office of the company, had to help take them public by building an FP&A division. Like the guy knows his stuff and has operated bigger projects at scale. And he's a great person who really resonates with our culture. And he can speak about the product vision, you know, as well as anybody. And I, I, I sort of like, it's like, what am I thinking? Like he should probably be the CEO. And, uh, and it, 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 you know, it, it has, so that, that happened in August co um, coincident with closing this round of financing. And um, the board was really supportive. They were kind of dumbfounded by me bringing this up. They said, you know, usually we're the ones bringing this up to you. <laughs> so this is kind of a change of roles, but, um, but it, you know, it, it's been a real, uh, it's been as it's gone as well as I, I would have ever imagined it. It has gone in terms of like smoothness and people trusting him. And he was within the company already. So he was a known quantity to the people there. But honestly, like in terms of me and my personal um, life, it's been kind of challenging to not be the CEO after spending, you know, seven years building this thing up and then, and then stepping down from that position. Um, I sort of have to redefine like who I am actually professionally. If I'm not the CEO of Yesware, then, then what is my role actually? And so that's kind of what I've been doing since the summer. So I know it's only recently, as you said, since, since the summer. I mean, do you, do you miss the, 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 the CEO role uh, at, at all? Or? I miss some of it, yeah. yeah. I miss, um, well, I miss being the boss, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I think I'm okay at it. I really, I really have enjoyed being an individual contributor again. Um, I, I do like managing people, but managing people for eight years as the CEO is a long time and it's, you know, challenging every single day. Um, so I, I, I'm happy being an individual contributor again and working on cool projects and um, that feels really good, but yeah, but it's weird to go in the board meetings now and not be the guy running the show, running the show. Well, so, so as, as chairman, then what is your day to day? You say individual contributor, are you, are you showing up to the office every day and like work, working on specific projects for the company? Yeah. So my, my job, um, has been, uh, basically to run the relationships for, uh, sort of Microsoft, Google, Salesforce, LinkedIn. It's our four major partners. Um, and, and then I've done a bunch of traveling. I came to Dublin and spoke at your conference and, and uh, met with a bunch of people there. I was sick as a dog, though. You guys were so generous to me. I was feeling awful. But anyway, that was a really fun trip um, and, uh, and doing that kind of thing. And I think, you know, 2019, we're now uh, end of January 2019. I'm thinking about, like, what is my role this year? So I think we're going to have to figure that out. And you've, uh, I guess, a final question is, I know we're a little bit over time and you've given like, uh, well, great answers, you know, honesty, like throughout a lot of advice, you know, in, in everything. Uh, but for founders and CEOs kind of out there that are listening, that are going through their various sort of struggles, is there any particular uh, sort of like piece of advice that you would give them, you know, based on, uh, on your experiences? Well, in, in addition to the things I've said, um, you know, which is like, you know, make sure you take care of yourself and make sure you, um, you know, find people to talk with co fellow CEOs or coaches or whatever. 
Um, I think I would just underline the importance of of um, being a little bit, give yourself some slack, <laughs> give yourself some credit, you know, give yourself some uh, uh, acknowledgement of like, hey, this is hard and I'm feeling this, I am feeling these things. Like so much of our speed and our, and our energy and frankly, our desire to work hard is to cover over these feelings of like uh, challenge and difficulty and struggle and doubt and fear that we won't actually be able to do this thing we want to do so much. That, that is a big motivator to like wake up at two in the morning and send emails. It's like, I don't actually want to feel these things, so I'm just going to work. And that aggression towards ourself is very, is counterproductive. It's uh, very hurtful both to ourselves and to the team because when we're expressing that kind of like personal aggression and personal like lack of um, uh, compassion for our own feelings, it, it bleeds out everywhere. So just give yourself some time and, and, and be nice to yourself. <laughs> you know? like, like I often, I often find myself, I'm talking to myself, you know, and I'm like, I'm down on myself. I'm like angry at myself. I'm like thinking I suck at something. And I'm like, why are you talking to yourself that way? Why? Like, why are you, why are you speaking to yourself in such a derogatory tone? Like you, this is all you've got is like your relationship with your mind and your body. Like be nice to yourself. So try and as a CEO, try and be like, you know what? Say it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it out loud if you want to. But in the train, people will look at you funny. But if you say it to yourself, like, hey, you know, that was a good day or that was a good meeting or, hey, you didn't, you didn't flip out at that person when they got you mad. Like, good job. Like, give yourself some props. Give yourself some encouragement and give yourself permission to, you know, take some time for yourself and go for a run or go for a walk or whatever you do, you know. Um, sure. If you can do that and take care, be gentle with yourself, be a little more gentle with yourself, 5% more gentle with yourself, then I think um, this the whole thing will be a little bit easier. Great, great advice there. Like you know, a hundred percent true. Um, you know, uh, to, to kind of end end the show with. And I think you know, this is still the uh, the Matthew Bellows. Yes, we're crushing it podcast, but it's kind of under the hood. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know that there are struggle, there are struggles I'm, I'm behind every crushing it podcast. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, uh, company. So, look, um, great speaking to you again. You know, as always, Matthew. Uh, you never know; maybe it's going to become a trio of podcasts in uh, in, in a year time. Um, yeah, man. Any time. And, and see what's happening. But really appreciate you sharing your insights um, uh, for our, our our audience. So, Matthew Bellows, uh, a co-founder, now chairman of Yesware. Thank you very much for being on the struggle. Thanks, Alex. Good luck, everybody. Be nice to yourself. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of The Struggle with Matthew Bellows. I encourage you to check out the episode I recorded with him in 2018, which tells the other side of Yesware's story, which we'll link to in the description. If you'd like to share your story of the struggle with us on the show, get in touch by emailing podcast at sastop.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.